Uh, good morning. Good morning. You're aware of his presence this morning. Absolutely. We'll take that. Those watching online, you're aware of his presence in your home right now or where in your vehicle or wherever you're listening to this. Pray that you're aware of his presence. You bring your Bibles with you this morning? If you did, grab them. We are going to dig into his word. We continuously say we want to get used to opening his word, but also opening our hearts to what's in it. And uh, trust that that'll happen this morning. Uh, we want to help people find Christ today. Hopefully through worship, you had that glimmer of like, oh yeah, my eyes are on him. As a, maybe for the first time, you're just like, oh, there's, there's, this isn't quite what I expected. I, I, like, I feel something, I sense something, something rings true in what's happening here this morning. That's, that's the God of all creation reaching for you. That's his voice reaching for you. And maybe you're here and you're a Jesus follower and this is what it's all about, finding him every day, living with him every day. Let's not miss that moment. So we're in a new series, not sure how long it's going to go, but we are simply talking about knowing God for yourself, not knowing him through somebody else, through a parent, through a pastor, through an online preacher, but you knowing God for yourself. And I'm speaking to myself as well, that even for myself, the desire to know him, to know him more. We know that God reveals himself through many ways. We know that he reveals himself through creation. See the, you see spring, you see all this stuff happening out there. It just screams of design. The fact that the apple trees are going to have apples again this year, not peaches, says something. The fact that they keep coming back year after year, that, that in every tiny little seed is this, the opportunity for a, a massive oak tree or whatever it may be. It is it's incredible. There's design, and it screams of a designer. We know through his word, he reveals it so often. People be like, man... That was just, that spoke straight to me. Uh, almost every week we have somebody else say, that, that spoke straight to me. That's not me. I don't have that ability to speak into a heart, not to bring change. But his word does. It's like it knows us. And it reveals who we are. And it reveals him as well. And then we said last week that God reveals himself through the life of Jesus. That if we are, have questions about God, the Old Testament seems confusing to me. As we begin to read about Jesus, we see that God expresses himself through the life of Jesus because it is he was God on the planet. He took on limitations of a human body so he might show us something we couldn't see. And that was who he really is. Uh, and so we learned last week, doing the series called I Am. So I encourage you to take notes. There's some pages in front of you. If you didn't bring any with you, grab a pen, jot some of these things down. You can look, out, look them up later in your pursuit of knowing Christ for yourself. Last week we said that, uh, he, called, he said that I am light. I am light. He's the light that illuminates the truth on the inside of us. He's the light that shows us the way to the Father. He is light that lightens the load. He is the light that brings hope. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'd say probably most of us have this sort of inner desire to know, like, God, like, are, do you even exist? Are you real? Maybe that's you this morning. You're here and you're like, I don't really know if there is a God. I, I, just don't, I don't know if there's something, but... There's something in me that really wishes there would be something out there. Part of it may be like, I wish there was something out there that would make this life make sense. That it would have meaning. That we're not just biology. We're not just, you know, cats here today, dead tomorrow. The cat people. Thank you. You're back. But we're not, right? There's something else that wants it to be more than that. Oh, man. Just, it could have been dogs, could have been anything. Just not cows. Uh, 
You know, last, last week we were talking about that very thought. There's something in us that wants to know God. And maybe at the end of last week's message you said along with me, God, I do want to know you. Would you be that light and illuminate yourself? Show, show me who you are. I want to know you. Maybe you've sung it. Maybe we've sung it like, God, I want to know you. And then I want to know you more. So here's the question this morning. If you've ever said, God, I want to know you, or if you've sung it, God, I want to know you, or you've thought it, I want to know you, here's the question. Have you considered your motives in that statement? Have we considered our motives in that statement? Why do I say that? The question is this. Do I really want to know him for who he really is? Do I really want to know him for who he really is? You're like, well, why, why would we have to ask that? Because possibly we want to know him for we, who we hope he'll be. And God, we want to know you for who you might be or who I want you to be. But do I really want to know him for who he is? And if we're saying we want to know God for ourselves, do we want to know him or do we want to know this idea of him? Here's why I think about it, because we do it in lots of different areas of our life. For those who are dating, you're in that dating stage. You know, you're looking for that perfect person. Let's give you a hint. There isn't one. Uh, you're just going to find someone, right? But, the, but we have this... We have this thought that, you know, you, you meet somebody, you see them, and, and you're like, oh, I kind of I like her. I kind of I like him. And what's the next thought? I want to get to know them better. But is the thing really, I want to get to know them for who they are? Or is, I'll tell you, it's not. You want to get to know them because there's something you're hoping for on the other end of that. Hopefully that's marriage. Some of you, where were your minds going? I, I want to get to... I want to get to know them better. But here, here's what I've experienced. That only lasts for so long, right? You're like, I want to get to know them. And then it's like, you find out like, oh, I don't want to marry them. And then it's really funny how you actually don't want to know them anymore. Right? None of us are hanging out with all of our old girlfriends, boyfriends. If you are, come talk to me. You will have problems. But we don't, ha- we, we don't have this thing, right, where we're like, we want to, we still want to know them. Now, because we, we, we want to know them with ulterior motives. You know, and then, and then as you get married, you eventually you choose one and you marry them. You think, I found the perfect one. And, uh, and then you have this thing of, of living life with them. And then you find out after a little while, they're not totally perfect. They, they have these little, little flaws, they have these things that I keep noticing. They keep coming up again. And it's like you kind of hint, hey, could you kind of kind of work on this? Because I, I don't really like this about you. And then when that doesn't work, you start shouting it out. Like, I really don't like this about you. And, and then you're like, you call people like me or a marriage counselor like, hey, can you fix him? Because I've tried and I can't. <laughs> and you know what we always say? We tell you this in your pre-marriage classes. We remind you of it then. is like, uh, you need to choose to love the person that they are, not who you want them to be. You need to choose to love the person that they are, not who you want them to be. Now, if it's sin and they are doing into all kinds of whatever stuff, and it's dang, we, we slap them upside the head a little bit and tell them to smarten up. But most of the time, that's not what it is. It's who they really are. And we need to choose to love them for who they really are. Or maybe it's like with kids. You know, with kids, you, you have children, and, and we, we, we say, yes, it's children, you know, you don't get to choose, and like, oh, it's been 12 years, I don't really like this one as much as I thought. You know, let's say, here's 20 bucks, go make it on your own, right? We don't, we don't do that. We don't do that, okay? But what we do sometimes is we, we have these statements where we say things like, why couldn't you be more like your brother? Why couldn't you be more like your, why couldn't you be more like the pastor's kids? I hear you. <laughs> I, I, I know, don't, don't say things like that. 
but, but maybe we have this thought of like, I want to live vicariously through them, right? We don't just appreciate them for who God's designed them to be, but we like, we like want to want them to be into what we would have been into. You know, I didn't make the NHL, but you're gonna, you know, you are the answer to the Leafs problems. You're going to be in hockey, whether you like it or not. <sighs> I'm praying for your child. But what is it? You know, I want them to like gardening, not video gaming. And we try and we want to try and adjust these things. What we have this, we have this tendency to want to know with strings attached. And and I wonder if we not we, we don't do that very same thing with him. God, I want to know you, but I want to, I want you to be like this. God, I want to know you, but but as long as it fits in my box and it's comfortable for me, I'm good with that. I don't really I don't really want it confrontational. I want it explainable. And then as I challenge you to read through John, so if you have your Bibles, go to John. You don't get very far before you run into some trouble with that mindset. God, I want to know you for who you really are. And there's people who follow Jesus like, we want to know you for who you really are. And so go to John chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, start flipping pages towards the right. You're going to come to some red letters. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The red letters are the words that Jesus spoke. So John, when you get to John chapter 2... John chapter 2 starts with a really great, great story. You know, Jesus goes to a wedding with his mom. He's got a few of his buddies who are, have come along. They're like, yeah, we, we kind of like this guy. We're going to follow him. He said, hey, come follow me. So we, they went, and they went to this wedding. And at the wedding, they ran out of wine. And then all of a sudden, it's like the, Jesus' mother says to uh, the people, just do whatever he says. He's like, it's not my time. He's like, you, you know what to do. And so Jesus does his very first miracle, his first sign. He turns water into wine. Well, guess who's Mr. Popular all of a sudden? The same today, right? Whoever brings the, you know, the 2-4, whatever they do with these days, they're like instantly popular. And we're not going to get into whether it was non-alcoholic or whatever. But Jesus does something, but it was so impressive. It says in verse 11 that the disciples believed in him as a result of it. It was like, look what this guy can do. And then it says that they're going to head from there off to Jerusalem for the, for the Passover feast. The wedding is like the small gig. Passover is the big gig. Here you got maybe a hundred people. There you're going to have possibly a hundred thousand. And his disciples begin thinking, man, if he could do that here, can you imagine what he could do there? We actually believe he is the Messiah. He's the Savior. This could be epic. He's going to, like, we got a hundred people who love him now. This could be a hundred. We could take over Rome. And there's these thoughts begin churning in their mind. We don't find that out till later in the story. But these thoughts are turning in their mind. And here's what happens in John chapter 2. If you got, if you're there, verse 13. It says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. And in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, selling sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. And Jesus made a whip from some ropes and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins over the floor. He flipped all their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then his disciples remembered the prophecy from scripture, passion for God's house will consume me. They remembered it because good Jewish boys, they knew the Psalms. It's Psalm 69 verse 9. Passion for my house is going to consume me. And then the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do stuff like this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. And Jesus is like, okay. He replied, destroy this temple. In three days, I'll raise it up. And what? They exclaimed. It's taken 46 years to build the temple. And you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. And they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. 
And here they are following Jesus into Jerusalem. If we were there, picture it. Here you are, you're like, yeah, he's the best. He's the best. Look what this guy can do. And then they get to Jerusalem, like, look what this guy can do. Like, Jesus, this is not the way to become popular. This is, this is not... This is not great. I don't like how you made those merchants feel. I don't like how you made those poor, nice dove sellers feel, Jesus. This was kind of, this was kind of like strong. Where's the, the meek and mild, Jesus loves everybody, wouldn't bruise a broken reed? You know, where's that guy? Where's that guy? I like, I like him right now. And Jesus just, it says he just didn't care about popularity. We learn about it later. Why? Because he was truth. Truth doesn't care whether it's popular or not. It's just truth. It's just truth. Today, truth shouldn't care and won't actually care whether it's popular or not. It's just truth. But things like this affected all the people around. And they had to start thinking, okay, am I going to follow this guy or not? And, and, and throughout Scripture, like in John 6, you'll see where Jesus told a whole crowd of people, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what? Okay, we're done with this guy. And it said some would just reject him. Others tried to change him. Like Peter said, you know, Jesus, you're not really going to go and die. And what's Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. He's like, what? He's like, you're not changing my mission. You can either follow or you can reject, but those are your options. You can either know who I really am or you can just, you know, go live life as, as you were and as you, uh, on your own. And some of them just said no. Like, nobody else is telling us the way to heaven. We're going to follow you. We, do, we know you say some weird stuff, but we believe in you. And they continue to follow him. And so we ask this question, what's Jesus, we said this last week, look for what Jesus is revealing about God through his life. So that's the question today. What's, what's Jesus revealing about God when he goes into a temple and starts tossing everything all over the place? Is God, is God coming into the temple and chucking stuff? Yeah. Why? Why? And the answer's way, way back. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter 3 where we were last week. So if you flip to the beginning of your Bible, there's Genesis and there's Exodus. We're just going to go to chapter 3. This is the story of Moses where we talked about last week where Moses saw that and heard that God revealed himself as I am who I am. Maybe you remember that from last week, I am who I am. We kind of breezed past this first part. So we're going to reset the scene for that. And it says this in Exodus 3 verse 1, that one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness, and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I got to go see this. And then when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look... God called out to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And when you see something like that written in text, they didn't have bold back then. There was no like Hebrew way to write, okay, this is bold. What they did is if they wanted something to have volume, they'd, they'd add, a, add, a, add a word. They'd repeat the word. So when Moses is walking towards the bush, it's like, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And The Lord said, do not come any closer, the Lord warned him. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. What happened in this moment? This is the first time God revealed to anybody that he was holy. He revealed to Adam that he was the creator. He revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob he was a covenant maker. But with Moses, he says, hey, let me tell you something. I'm holy. 
I'm holy, this, 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 which means set apart, I'm sacred. I, there's a difference between common and uncommon. You're used to common stuff, I am not common. So when Moses is like, oh, there's a burning bush, and he's like sauntering over, all of a sudden God's like, whoa, 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 Moses, stop. Stop. Don't come any closer. Take your sandals off, because this ground that you think is common is no longer common. It's holy ground right now, because there's a holy God in your presence. The common is now uncommon. And as Moses sees the fire, and I think about this, you know, there's something about fire. It has this double thing. It draws you to it. But if you get too close to it, you get burned. Right? I mean, anybody sitting around a campfire? What do you see? Even the bugs have that. You know, some of you are like this, and you're like, oh, I, I wish I was there right now. There's like this thing. You're like, you know what? We're going to have a fire tonight. There's this drawing to it, and the bugs, you know what happens? They fly, you know, toward what happens? They get too close? Yeah, exactly. No more bug. The same happens for us. This is drawing to it. We know we're smart enough. You sit close to it. But we have this, this, uh, you know, this reverence for it as well, a healthy fear and respect of this fire because we know what it can do if you get too close. And what's the truth about that? That all powerful things need to be treated with care. All, it's why we don't give guns and dynamite to toddlers. Why? Because we know toddler steals a sippy cup. The next thing coming back is dynamite. No more toddler. We know they don't know how to care for. We know they don't know how to treat those things. And when an accident happens, who do we blame? Do we blame the gun for killing somebody? Do we blame, well, our government tries to do that, but do we, do we, blame, do we blame the fire for burning somebody? No. Why? Because it's the nature of the fire to burn, the nature of the fire to consume. We don't, we don't blame them. We blame whoever it was who got too close. We blame whoever was holding the gun. Why? Because it's the nature of that thing. We don't blame it. And it's very interesting as we read through Scripture that the writers of Scripture use this word fire to describe God in ways that we understand and here's, here's what we can read. I'm just going to give you two verses. You can look them up later to see the context and make sure I'm telling you the truth. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27. The writer to the Hebrews says this. This means, and he's talking about how God's going to shake everything that can be shaken. Every kingdom, it's all going to be shaken. And he says, this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Verse 28, since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, Let's be thankful. Let's please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Verse 29, he says, For our God is a devouring fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Like, what? Why, why does he throw that in at the end? He's like, we should be living in a, in a way where we have this holy fear and a holy awe of God. He's writing to New Testament people because God's a consuming fire. He's actually referencing something from the Old Testament something written by Moses. Moses who saw God revealing himself in this burning bush as fire. He says in Deuteronomy 4 verse 23, it says, so be careful. Moses is telling the people, be careful not to break the covenant that the Lord your God has made with you. Don't make idols, which is a God of your own creation. Don't make up a God that you like, oh, this is what I want God to be. He's like, don't do it. Don't do it. In any shape, in any form, for the Lord your God has forbidden this. Verse 24, he says, the Lord your God is a devouring fire. He's a jealous God. He's just saying, hey, there's something you need to know about God. He's telling the people back then, the Hebrews writer is reminding them, he's holy. There's something about him that you need to treat him 
with an incredible sense of care and respect. It's part of the reason why the nation of Israel was given the law. It was a reminder to them in case they would forget that they were a holy people, a sacred people, that they were set apart to serve a holy, sacred, set-apart God. They weren't like everybody else. And why do they need the law? Why do they need, like, you know, the Levitical laws and how to handle, you know, stuff in the temple and everything else? They need it because there's a natural tendency in us to drift away from that. It's, for us, we're, we're, like, we're common, so we, we look towards common things. We're natural, so we look towards natural things. When we have to try and understand something that's beyond us, outside of us, that's difficult for us. And we can be tempted sometimes to treat what's uncommon as if it's common. And that's the danger that the law was trying to protect. The law contained instructions so that they wouldn't forget his holiness. Like even if you forget that he's holy, the law will protect you. It'll protect you from the consuming fire. You know, the, it's like the warning label on any dangerous package. We have this warning label. You see that, you know, corrosive, avoid contact with eyes and skin. Would you look at this label and when you see it, do you think it's good or it's bad? Think about that for a minute. Is this a bad label or a good label? It's a good label. Sure it is. Why? Because you see this label. What's it doing? It's protecting you. It's why the authors later in the New Testament, like Paul would say, the law was good. The law of God was good. Converts the soul. It was a display of God's goodness to people. Why? Because if they forget the law and they step right into that place where they get too close, they just waltz into the, the, the very presence of God, bad things happen. We have stories. We have accounts of it. Leviticus 10 And some people read this and be like, God's horrible. But if we read it with this lens, we realize, man, the goodness of God is on display. Leviticus 10 says it this way. You can can jot it down. Leviticus 10, you can read on the screen. It says this, Aaron's sons. So Aaron was the high priest. He was the one who operated in the temple. He knew the law of God. He knew the rules of of what it was to be in the presence of God. And it says, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. And in this way they disobeyed. They knew what they were to do and they did it differently. They disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. Verse 2, so fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up and they died before the Lord. That's some heavy stuff. Like God, what, what, what what were you thinking? Like these poor boys, all they did was just put like some the, the wrong flavor of incense and you just like murdered them? Moses explains it in the next verse. He says, and Moses said to Aaron, Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I'll display my holiness through those who come near me. I'll display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. What had happened? He'd given them the warning label. He'd given them his law saying, hey, you got to be careful when you come near me. Yes, I'm drawing you to me just like the fire. I'm drawing, but you need to be careful how you come. Not because I'm angry, not because I hate you, not because I'm like the God in the skies. Let's see who I can destroy today. He's like, I'm holy, and you're not. And if you come too close with this arrogance and whatever, like, you will burn. You'll be consumed by my holiness. These things don't coexist, but I want to know you, and I want you to know me. It's the reason why when Moses was walking towards the bush, he's like, whoa, whoa, Moses, stop, stop. I want to speak to you, but but there's a term we need to know here. We need to know I'm sacred, I'm holy. This ground's holy because there's a holy God here. 
And the law was God's answer to his own question. What can I do to make it safe for people to be able to approach me? We were always meant to be in his presence, but what can I do that will allow them to be there, that they might know me? It's where the sacrificial Passover lamb came into place, helped set them free from Egypt, but it was like, man, the lamb's going to die so that you don't die when you come near my presence. And they put the tabernacle together. God was like, build it this way and do it in this way so that you can come close to me and you won't be consumed. And that tabernacle would later become a temple. And the temple would remain in Jerusalem for centuries. And it was that temple that Jesus is walking into that day. So here we go, back to John 3. John 2, sorry, Jesus and his disciples are walking towards the most sacred, holy site because the presence of God is there. It's the only way people could be in His presence. It was in the temple. And it's the most sacred event of the year. It's Passover. He's like, He's coming in and there should be this reverence and this awe and this respect for the God of all creation who is holy. And He walks into the courtyard and what does He see? Animals, sheep, goats, doves. Like, fine if they're outside, but what are they doing in the temple. Men had fallen for what they'd fallen for so many times, this treating it as common. And it says zeal for his house consumed him. It's like the presence of God in Jesus has entered there. And it was like this zeal consumed him. And I think that's a great wording because this was a very fiery response to what was going on. What does he do? He comes and flips the tables. What was Jesus doing? What was God doing through Jesus? He was saying, listen, I'm still holy. I'm still holy. You you can't do this. You you can't treat the uncommon as common. You can't treat the sacred as if it's plain. You You can't do this. He says, you can have your cattle and your whatever else anywhere in Jerusalem, but not here. You can do all your business dealings and whatever else, and you want to cheat people, but you can't, do, you can't do that here. You can't move a barn full of animals into my house. You wouldn't do it in your house, would you? Some of you might. But when we think about that, we're like, man, we, we, we wouldn't do that. And he's reminding them, saying, listen, you're in the presence of holiness. And this place was meant to be a place of prayer, of connection with, with God for all people. It was meant to be sacred. It's still sacred. And why do we talk about it today? Some of you are like, I was expecting a really nice Mother's Day message. <laughs> Moms, you're great. So was I, actually. I could not shake this. And I don't know who it is who needs to hear it today, but it may be all of us. A revealer and a reminder for us today as well that God is still holy. That has not changed. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, like it says in Hebrews 13, verse 8. That the God of Exodus at the burning bush with Moses and the God who's flipping tables in Jerusalem is still the God of today and will be the God of the future as we see in Revelation. Because the same John who who wrote about, watched Jesus flip tables, had a chance to see Jesus in his resurrected form in heaven, and here's how he describes it. Go, just, just turn there with me. Go to Revelation chapter 1. We're, we're on the way. We're, we're, we're landing the plane here, just in case some of you are like. Revelation 1. Hopefully we're learning something this morning. God, we want to know you. It says verse 12, when I turned... John says he had a vision of the Lord. He says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. Standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone 
like the Son of Man. He's like, that's how the title for Jesus. He's like, who I saw was, he was like Jesus. He was like Jesus, the one I saw flipping tables. It was like him, except there was something different about him. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair, they're white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. What's in a furnace? Fire. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars. What are they made of? Fire in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. His face was like the sun. Any ideas what it's made of? Fire in all of its brilliance. And he says, when I saw him, man, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. And it's like, buddy, Jesus, the one who changed water into wine, you're the coolest, you're, you're awesome, dude. Sees him now. Falls at his feet as if he were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. That is who Jesus is today. Do I really want to know him for who he really is? I just want like the pink fluffy unicorn Jesus who just loves everybody and is nice to people. If I bring my friends to church, it's going to be nice. We better realize there's a side of Jesus that tells us he's holy and that hasn't changed. Do we want a God uh, 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 who he is or do we want a God of our own making? The one we just talked about earlier, an idol where we're like, God, I want you in my way. I, I want you with what I want you to be. Predictable, safe, like me. You know, made in my image and my understanding, who I get and understand. And, you know, th- that, that's what I want. You know, think about that. I was reminded of how C.S. Lewis describes it in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Some of you are like, I'm not cool with you reading the Bible. Maybe you're cool with me reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Here's a... The, the people that these kids meet these beavers. If you know the movie, it's, the book, it's amazing. The beavers begin telling them about Aslan, and, and here's how the thing goes. I'll just read along and leave the picture up there. He says, who is Aslan? Asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, why don't you know? He's the king. It's he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. Is, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood. He's the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I, I, thought, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Oh, that you will, dearie. And no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else they're just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Oh, I'm longing to see him, said Peter, even if I do feel frightened when it comes to that point. C.S. Lewis, obviously writing about Jesus. How do I describe it to kids? Man, to big kids today, he's not safe, but he's good. And that's what God was showing Moses. Moses, 
I'm not safe, but I'm good enough to warn you about that. I, I, I will make a way that you can be in my presence. And so, you know, today some would have a fear of God with no desire to know him. We're in a world full of people who are like, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want anything to do with him. You know, no fear, no desire. We have others who have a desire to know God, but they have no fear of him. It's like this, this thought, we drift into our own design where we want Jesus to be our kind of Jesus. We're like, you know, I don't, I, it's more about the feelings and the natural and, and the common than the supernatural and the holy that he is. Jesus, I don't like how you make my friends feel when you talk about your thoughts on sexuality and identity and money and sin. So we don't use that word sin. I, I don't want a Jesus that's going to confront those kind of things. Isn't it true? What's happening? The drift. That very same drift that says we can treat him as common. We can think of him as common. And Jesus came and started flipping tables and let me remind you, I am not common. I am holy. And the holiness of God should make us feel uncomfortable in sin. It should. Why? Because he doesn't want you to hold on to sin because you walk too close to him one day with sin still permeating your existence. You'll be consumed. It cannot It cannot coexist. And it should make us think carefully and consider carefully about how we think about God. You know, the other night as we sang at the worship night, the retro worship night, I was just, I thought, man, I was so struck by how many of the songs we sang sung about the holiness of God. Did any of you pick up on that? And I thought, man, how few of the songs we sing about today sing about the holiness of God? Are we drifting? Is there a drift that's happening? Let me close with this. We won't make you uncomfortable forever. (laughs) Hebrews 4.12 says this, writes about that very thing. For the word of God's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. If that's happening to you today, you feel like, oh, it's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm like known here. I feel like, man, I, I, I ha- that's me who he's describing. His word is doing what it's meant to do. It's meant to cut away the things in us that shouldn't be there. It says in verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He's the one to whom we are accountable. And we read and we see that and we're like, oh, that feels heavy. But here's where it gets amazing. It says, verse 14, so then, since we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus who entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, but he didn't sin. So let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, where we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. That's the call. That's the draw of the God of our consuming fires. That draw, come, come close. I want you to know me. I want you to come close. And I will make that way. It used to be the law, but now it's Christ. It's what he did on a cross that washes us clean, makes us right, gives us the opportunity. May we not treat that opportunity as common. May we not enter the throne room with that reckless, careless arrogance. We wouldn't do it here. You know, with King Charles just being crowned recently, nobody walks in. Maybe like as, as he gets the, the coronation speech is just about finished and all of a sudden you wander in. You're like, hey, kingy dude. <laughs> Man, I'm so glad you're here. Like, hey, fellas, leave me alone. I don't need to talk to him. I had some things. I got some requests. You know, I'd like a puppy. And I'd like a new job and a raise. And if you could fix my wife, that would be awesome. Amen. See ya. 
how many people pray like that? More than we think. How many times are like, God, I need you to do this for me. God, like, please, make, please fix this. For, for, and we come with that, just that lack of awareness of who he is. And when we came this morning to worship, did we come thinking, oh man, he's a consuming, blazing fire. Yes, I have the drawing to him, but he is something other than us. He deserves my praise, regardless of what he gives me in this moment. He's God, and I'm here to worship and reflect his goodness, because I'm not creating a God in my image. I'm created in his image. It's amazing that he even thinks about me. God, you're amazing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He was, he was, he was to come. Did we come with that thought this morning? I know many times I haven't. And I'm grateful for the grace of God that allows us that opportunity for the do-over. And I'll just say it this way. It's not just about coming to this room because it's not just about God dwelling in physical structures. He doesn't just, you know, it's, it, this isn't the holy place where we came to encounter God even though we encounter Him together. He doesn't live in holy structures anymore. You know, the ground where Moses went and saw the ground, you know, it wasn't holy as soon as God left that place. It wasn't like, oh, let's create this shrine. This is holy ground. Let's come here all the time to meet with God. No, it was only holy because God was there. The temple when Jesus was walking down to, it was a holy place, but it was only holy because God was there. And when Jesus died on the cross, it says that veil tore and the holy of holies and the presence of God was let out. And where did it go? Where did the very presence of God go? It was no longer in that temple. And that temple got destroyed a few decades later anyways. Where did it go? It moved into new temples. His presence moved into new temples. Any idea what those are? Yeah! Thank you, Val! It's us! It's us! The holy, sacred, amazing presence of God has moved into us. He took what's common and begins to change it, being uncommon, not because we're something, but because he's something. That wherever we find ourselves, we can connect with the amazing God of the universe because of what he did for us. It is something special. And the writers of the New Testament said, don't you know that you're the temple of the living God? Don't you realize your bodies are the temple? Live in such a way that you've got the holy, sacred God of all creation living in you. He says, well, you know, it's you've been made holy, made righteous. It says in Hebrews 10.10, it wasn't your doing, it was a sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Peter would write to them and say, God still says, be holy, be set apart, be sacred, because I am holy. I am holy is what he says. Live your lives in such a way. And so today I leave with this thought that maybe today, just like that day, Jesus walked in and he started flipping tables and cleansing his temple. Maybe he's doing the very same thing this morning. He's just cleansing his temples here, taking out those thoughts of like, oh, Lord, you, you're right. I have been treating you as common. I'll flip that table. Lord, I, I, I haven't thought of the fact that, yeah, I'm carrying you to my world. I've sort of misused this thought and thought, oh, you're here for me to do my bidding, to do my. He's sending that out to the curb. Oh, God, I thought it was about religious experience. Let's flip that table. Let's never bring that one back. Cleansing his temple cleansing the distractions, the things in us that don't desire, he doesn't desire to be there, the wrong assumptions, the misuse, the hindrances, that we would not have a God of our own creation, that his word, as we look at it, we're like, okay, God, I see who you are. And now you have a choice. Do you want to know him as he really is? Will you come to him with that, that respect, that awe, that holy fear for who he is? Or it's like, I, I actually don't really want to know a God like that. 
And then it challenges us to say, can we actually say, do I want to know God for myself? Do I want to know him for myself? I believe all over this room there's a drawing. And some of you, maybe for you, you're like, man, to listen to all this, I'm like, God doesn't want anything to do with me. He does. And you may have this guilt and shame on the inside. It's because he's going to bring that up because you need to leave that behind. But you can. As you leave that behind and follow him, he'll change you from the inside out, renew you, cause you to be reborn, create you into one of his temples where the very presence of God can live. And it is the desire of all of our hearts. It is the drawing to that. Thank you, Jesus, that he made a way that we can draw close to him without being consumed by him. And it's why we're able to live with him for eternity. Some heavy stuff for us to think about on Mother's Day. You're welcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're aware of your presence. We are right now. God, we're thankful for your goodness on display. Through your Son, through your Word, through your truth. Lord, we, we, we're grateful that you drew us back to you. I know we're in different places all around this room. So Father, I just pray for every person here. All I ask is that they would hear your voice. Whatever that means for them this morning, whatever that next step is for them, for me. God, we want to know you. There's things that have to be laid to the side. Misbeliefs, misthoughts. Lord, we, we're good. Take those things out of our hearts. Let your word cut them out. God, we want to know you. We want to know you. Father, thank you for this opportunity, this moment of just setting aside some time and slowing down. May this do something in our hearts that continues to grow, continues to draw us. Lord, may we reflect who you really are, truth, grace, love, mercy to our world around us. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we've got some cool treats at the back for everyone celebrating moms because none of us would be here without them literally uh and we'd love for you to take part and there's lots but if you have kids in kids church please go get them first and then come back and we will have a great time here together if you're here this morning and as we were talking there's something you would like prayer for just want to chat please feel free to come talk to me there's others who would love to pray with you as well Uh, But other than that, have a fantastic Mother's Day. Have a fantastic Sunday. Have a fantastic day. And uh, we'll see you again soon.